Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855kHz on your AM dial. I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. Hi, I'm Bill, and each week on the Living Free Show, we showcase one of the 12-step programs that assist recovery from drugs, alcohol, gambling and food addictions. Our guests share their recovery story and highlight that shared experience saves lives. Today my guests are Anne and Alice, they're members of Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous, and they'll be sharing their story of recovery from food addiction. So welcome to the 3CR studio this afternoon. Thank you, Bill. Thank you. Good to be here. Good. So, and we usually start talking about growing up and the things that influenced you as a child. So, what was life like for you growing up? Yes, life was good growing up. Um, I was one of two children. Uh, my parents, one of my parents was an immigrant to New Zealand. My other parent was a second generation New Zealander. Um, so, I, I grew up with a lot of um, connection to the country of my one of my parents who was the immigrant. And, you know, my, my dad was um, born in England and um, he liked his food. He grew up in times of the Depression and the war. And um, growing up, there were never any restraints put on food for me. It's, I, was, I never heard, don't eat that or only have one. I just had unfettered access, and um, I think that was one of my parents' reaction to growing up through the Depression. I liked food, I liked treats, I liked sugar, I liked chips and crisps and salt, I liked shiny packets that rattled, Uh, I was attracted to them, and you know, if I was doing a chore for my parents, going to the shop, and getting them something, there would be some money there for me for a treat. I, it, also, my parents were smokers, and I just did grow up got, getting the feeling that there was alcoholism in our family. And my grandfather was an alcoholic, and I feel like my family was um, a family where alcohol was, but it was a dry home, but the behaviours were there. And so... I used food to comfort myself, and I, I used food to, uh, when I read, my greatest um, enjoyment would be to watch TV and eat something, or to read a book and have a packet of crunchy things to eat. Uh, that was uh, my idea of bliss. Right. Um, How did you get on with your, um, the rest of your family, your brothers and sisters? I have one younger brother. Uh, my brother was my first experience in jealousy and resentment. Um, when he was born, I started to have a point of reference, um, and that resentment came through. I started to compare the way I felt he was treated to the way I was treated, and I felt that I came up short. I felt that he got all the attention. He was quite a needy child. He had tantrums. And uh, I felt that he got more care and more love, and I resented that and um, continued to resent that for a lot of our childhood and growing up. I felt that I had a lot of restraints and conditions put on my life. I felt that he had very little, and I was really highly indignant about what I perceived as as unfairness and injustice, and it, it burned in my soul, and you know, probably is one of the reasons I'm a food addict today. So were you a very sensitive child? Yes, yes, very sensitive, excruciatingly sensitive. Um, you know, I, I wanted to give the right answer at school. Um, I wanted attention, but when I got attention, I was just really aware of people looking at me and, and really embarrassed, easily embarrassed, easily went red and... Um, just, yeah, so conscious of myself, so self-conscious. Yeah. So at school, did you fit in well? Look, you know, despite those things, I grew up, I was in a, in, amongst a bunch of children. I felt I always was accepted around the group. 
Um, there might be a couple of girls that I didn't get on with. There might be the odd altercation, but mostly I got on well with other children, to my knowledge, and I achieved well at school. I liked school. It was a great place for me to um, feel good about myself and to have adults talk to me um, and experience the world, you know, experience life, have that stimulation of education. It was very positive for me. So when did things start to change for you? Look, I was a tubby little girl. Um, people did make comments. I uh, remember once at a gym, my brother and I had gone to, and um, I was, and there was a trampoline. They were quite new in, the, in those days when I was growing up in the 70s. And um, I was somewhere around in the gym. The head of the gym said, where are those fat kids? And I just couldn't bear that. Um, so ever I'd hear that word fat. It was just mortifying to me. I remember once a family um, friend called me fat and I got offended and hid under the house. And then I heard everyone saying, where is she? Where is she? And then I came out. Um, so I, I knew it wasn't good to be fat. Um, I, I was attracted to food, but I so didn't want people's criticism. Uh, once on a school trip, I'd had money and bought some chocolate and some children saw me and said, you're a pig. I just couldn't bear that. I couldn't bear that criticism. And so any eating I did from that point on went underground. I had to be discreet, be secretive, not let other people see. And, um, and I learned to be quite secretive yeah it, it usually sort of affects when you go to um to high school so what was it like changing schools and moving into a different group yes 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 as my body grew and changed that did that i did feel that as well so as i entered puberty my body started to change we had to do sports at school and wear shorts i compared my thighs with the girls, the other girls' thighs, I had the fattest thighs. Um, I, I always wonder why didn't I have the good sense to be sick on that day, but I never was clever enough for that. Um, but I did I did just feel so um, at odds with my body. And I was aware of beauty too in my early years at high school. The girls who were beautiful, and I, I just felt that I just didn't win on any of those fronts. But I was attracted to beauty um, but just I just couldn't achieve it myself. So did your family provide any support? Look, I was such an internalised child by that time. I, I'd, ta I'd been offended at my parents. I'd taken, I'd been, um, I'd judged them. I didn't think they were doing the right job. And I pushed them away and I wasn't open with them. I didn't expect. I think once I said to my mother, I don't have a good figure. And she said, oh, yes, you do. But then on another occasion, a family member commented that I looked like I was three months pregnant, you know, when I was young. And so I guess I hadn't found a lot of support or our family wasn't open that you talked about what you were feeling internally. So I just kept it all inside. I know once we went, I went to a careers counsellor and the careers counsellor asked me one question. She said, what do you want to do with your life? And I started crying miserably. And my mother was there. She was very embarrassed. And we bundled me up and went away. And, you know, I was miserable because nobody had ever asked me a direct question and taken an interest in me. And I felt very miserable about that. So I, a bit later, I found myself on some modelling course with beauty and makeup. And I think there was an attempt to you know, to build my confidence by that course. But apart from that, I, my family never said the words fat. They never said you're getting bigger. They never mentioned it. So there was that sensitivity not to highlight those things that I was aware of. But, yeah, yeah. So it's really an internal world for me. It was all in my own head what I thought about myself. Mm. Okay. So over to you then, Alice. So what was life like for you growing up in your family? Um, so I'm one of three children. I have a brother who's three years older and a sister who's nine years younger. 
And I was always a really shy, quiet kid. My household, I come from a Greek background. So my grandparents immigrated from Greece. Um, so my parents are uh, first generation, I'm second generation. And what it was like, um, my brother had has ADHD and there was always a lot of chaos in my household. Um, there was always a lot of fighting, arguing. My parents didn't understand how to cope with a child who had ADHD. Um, they were very uh, ag against putting him on medication. So there was a lot of there was a lot of battles in my household, and how I coped with that, well, I, I couldn't. I'm such a sensitive child. I was such a sensitive child, and and still such a sensitive person. So I didn't like and still don't like loud noises or arguments or confrontation. So I really hid. I, I took solace in reading books, uh, isolating myself. I love, I crave quiet, calm places. Um, and that for me was my bedroom. So I spent a lot of my childhood locked in my bedroom with a book. I could just sit in my bedroom for hours on staring at the wall. So long as it's calm and quiet and peaceful and dark. I, I love dark places as well. Yeah, because I'm, I'm very sensitive to, to, to noises, to light, to everything. So growing up was, was really difficult living with a brother who's got ADHD and parents who didn't medicate him. Yeah. Um, so what was yeah. it like going to school then? So school, look, I loved school. School was great for me because I was with, I was always, although I, I was always a really painfully shy child, I love people. I love connecting with people. Um, I'm very interested by people. Um, I find people fascinating and I love I love engaging. I love having deep and meaningfuls with, with people. So school for me was great. I got to be with, uh, with friends. Um, I was always, because I loved books, was always on the bookish side of things. So I did well academically in my younger years. School was fairly easy for me, although, as Anne was also sharing, um, I too was was um, very self-conscious from a young age, very self-conscious of my body. Um, but when I was younger, also, that self-consciousness didn't inhibit me from being in the world or being with people. So although I was very self-conscious, I always felt, I felt also very free and happy at school, yeah. Okay. Um, so when did food start becoming an issue for you? So food became an issue for me probably when I hit puberty. So when I started developing, um, you know, curves and becoming more of a woman um, and the hormones. The hormones are still, I'm 29 years old and the hormones still screw with me today. Um, so when I... Yeah, probably about 12 or 13, I became very, I mean, I was always aware, but something, I, I don't, I, you know what, I don't actually know what happened, but it's like one day, a switch just flicked in my brain, and I became, you know, this gregarious, bubbly girl to a very shut off, very scared, very anxious, um, fearful girl um I stopped doing well academically I stopped um I stopped caring about a lot of things um yeah I became very very fear driven very fearful of of not being good enough not being smart enough um just fear that you know what if something happens to one of my parents and we could go homeless just very anxious thoughts when did food start becoming a an issue and how did it help? So food became an issue for me around that same time when I become so when I became so fearful and self conscious, and I really, in hindsight, acknowledged that I used food to comfort and to numb me, because I was you know and that transition as well from going from primary school to high school. In primary school, I was you know carefree and happy and did well academically. And then I had to transition into high school where I was a little fish in a big pond where, you know, there was, I felt very less than everyone else. I felt very, you know, all the girls were so beautiful and smart and clever and they all had boyfriends. And I just felt like this frumpy, fat 
dumb 12 year old who just yeah wasn't as good as everyone else so food really come really quelled those those feelings it brought me comfort and it numbed me and I'm I'm somebody I'm a comfort seeking missile I just want to feel comfortable all the time so the moment I feel some sort of discomfort be it physical or mental I just want out I, I, I want to get out and you know had it not been food and I think the reason I turned to food was because you know as a, a young Greek girl coming from a you know fairly conservative community doing hard drugs <laughs> probably would be really out of place whereas food gave me the same numbing that alcohol or drugs would have, but it was just a bit more socially acceptable. So I could, you know, get my drug without, you know, turning too many heads or without, you know, my parents thinking, you know, we need to send her to therapy or, you know, this is, this is, this is an issue. It was a very um, socially acceptable drug. Yeah. Um, but what about how you had to get the food? Was that an issue, hiding? I mean, to begin with, you know, growing up, I, I was, I was, I always, I did a lot of sport. My family was really, really big on sport. So we were always, every single night of the week, we were out either doing soccer or I grew up doing gymnastics. I wanted to be a gymnast. Um, and then when I started, when I hit puberty and I started to become really self-conscious and the fear kicked in for me, then I stopped most of those sports and food became an issue. But to answer your question, food in the beginning, when I first started eating around the age of 12 or 13, I didn't have to try too hard to get the food because I didn't have that much weight on my body. I wasn't, you know, severely overweight or it was, it was kind of cute, you know, oh, you know, she eats a bit extra or she wants seconds, you know, she's a growing girl, but food really started to become a problem when it started to show on my body. And that was probably at the age of 16 or 17. And then that's when I had to really um, get creative with how I was going to get the food. And it was things like, you know, earning my own money. And, you know, my, I've got a sister who's nine years younger than me. And I would do things like my mum would be at work and I would be, you know, at, on school holidays and I'd have to babysit my newborn sister or she was quite young and she would be taking naps. And I would, my mum would say, you know, under no circumstances are you to leave the house or answer the door. Don't even answer the phone you know, while I'm at work, while we're at work, um, because we, we, we didn't have babysitters back then. And I would just do things like, you know, scavenge the house for coins, for money, and then leave my newborn sister in the house alone and walk up the street and go and get food, go and get lollies or whatever it was, or I just needed some sort of sugar or something. Um, other ways I got the food were, was, um, yeah, just very sneaky, very sneaky. You know, if we were going away, uh, to family, friends, holiday houses or, or wherever on holidays or something, I would just, um, I would steal from people's pantries. Um, okay. That's fine. So you said you sort of peaked around, you know, uh, 17, 16, 17. So what did your weight get to on how did that affect you? My weight at my worst was probably when I was about 18 years old and it got to, look, I stopped weighing myself after a while because the thought of, of, of being obese was just something that I wanted to numb from. Um, but the worst was probably about 87 kilos. Um, it could have gotten higher than that, but I just, I didn't weigh myself. I, I was too scared to weigh myself. So it, it, it might've reached 90 kilos. We'll never know. Um, but, and I'm five, three in height, I'm 166 centimeters. So to be about 87, 88 kilos at that height is actually, it is obese medically it's, it's obese. Um, so that was probably the highest that I got. Um, and what that did for me mentally was I just, you know, being an addict, Trying to lose weight when, you know, food is your drug, it's just, it's a recipe for disaster. So I wanted to lose weight, but I just couldn't stop eating, which resulted in me just feeling like such a failure. Okay. Well, listen, we might take a quick break. I'm on, I'm in, and hear the best live pop music from around town. It's your chance to tune in, so come on, come in. Live on Thursdays, 3pm, 3CR, 8.55am. 
You're listening to The Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial, and 3CR on digital radio. Uh, are you interested in listening to one of our many podcasts? Then head to your preferred podcast platform or 3cr.org.au forward slash livingfree. You'll also find details about The Living Free Show and how to contact us. Alternatively, you can call us on 03 9419 8377. Today I'm talking with Alice and Anne about recovery from food addiction with the help of Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous. Uh, so Anne, I think we left you um, sort of at the end of end of high school. Um, so what was life like leaving high school and going to either uni or work for you? Yes, uni was a big um, culture shock in a way. Um, I really found it different to have to be self-motivated in my study. You know, I, I found it different being in big lecture rooms or small tutorials with people I didn't know and only saw twice a week. It was, and there were a lot of different people and I was just, I don't like difference. I don't like change. And um, it wasn't an easy time for me. And I ended up finding the cafes all around the campus and cafes at the squash club. I, I was good at knowing where the eateries were and which ones I liked. But um, the uni was on a big hill. We had to walk up. I did a lot of exercise, and my weight was kind of average. Um, not slim, but I would have said I, I didn't feel good enough, and I would have said I would like to be slimmer. And, and that was a pattern through the 80s where I just had really terrible self-talk going on in my head like a voice going on in my head all the time that you're not good enough uh, you look terrible uh, nobody likes you and I had very um, very um, my emotions were very um, up and down in those times I cried a lot uh, I felt very sorry for myself I had a lot of self-pity um, and they were they were dark years um, and I I used food, I used cooking, I liked recipe books, uh, I liked baking, uh, the themes of, of, of the items that were on in the cafes, you know, I loved the cafe culture in my late uni years and early work years, but um, I just wanted to be different, I just wanted some relief from my head, and I wanted to be in a slim body, but I didn't connect the two. And I had a faith in higher power, and I used a lot of the tools of that um, that um, was in a, in a faith tradition. I used a lot of tools of that to try to get ahead, to try to get to feel better. Um, I was always on a diet. I, I can I've been on Weight Watchers four times. Um, I've done. I love vegetarianism. Always attracted to those diets. But I never stuck with them and I never got to my goal weight. And I had a lot of lying to myself. I'd say, you know, the problem is that I shouldn't have told anyone that I was on a diet. That's, that jinxed me. It made me fail. And then I, I wouldn't tell anyone and I'd still fail and not reach my goal. And then I said, you know what the problem is? I told myself. I won't tell myself. And I became very good at not admitting my true motives. In, in all sorts of areas of my life, such that I even denied my feelings and what was going on for me. And so when I felt pain and when I went to eat something, I sometimes didn't even know what it was about. I just reached instinctively for that, that thing. And I remember a course I went on. It was a very uh, self-improvement course. It had a lot of people sharing about painful things. I went home that night and ate a whole block of chocolate and the next morning I woke up with a food hangover you know I had streaming eyes I felt like I had the flu I felt like I had a sore throat and I called in sick and I did that the following two Mondays when this course was on and years later looked back and thought I was medicating with food and I had a food hangover the next day I wasn't sick and so yes I'm a food addict today and I I see how my behaviors have been to get what comforts me and what will stuff down those feelings so that I can feel better and not have to deal with painful issues. Yeah. So did you find that you isolated to sort of get a buffer between yourself and the world? 
Yes, I I wasn't very socially adept. Um, I, I actually, I did have friends, um, but I often felt like nobody really knew the real me. And if they did know the real me, they wouldn't like me. So I was very careful to present a certain face to the world. Um, I was like that the clown that's crying on the inside, you know, it's got the smile plastered on. People would tell you that I had a cheerful demeanor, a cheerful um, personality, and I do. But um, also what was on the other side of that was a lot of sadness. And I did isolate. There came a time in my flatting situation, I would always live alone so people wouldn't comment on my food or on anything I did. I just wouldn't brook any criticism. And I wouldn't answer my answer fine. I wouldn't open my mail. And, you know, I'd be quite resentful if a friend came round even and spent too long there, you know, like, how dare you come round and come to, and come to see me? And, you know, people were wanting to see me. People were wanting to connect with me and socialise. But I just, I just wanted to keep the world out. Mm. Uh, so what about your eating habits during that period? Did you... You know, you're always on diets, but could you keep to them? No, that's the whole thing. I'd be on the diet, and that would be one stream of life. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm taking a very healthy lunch to work. But, you know, at the end of the day, if you'd had the day I'd have, you would need that thing from the supermarket as well. And so then I'd sort of cheat and cheat. I never admitted I was cheating. I'd never admitted I was off my diet. I was still on that food plan, you know, but... Just other things were creeping into it. And, you know, there were times when I just felt I had eaten a white protein that's low fat for, like, years in a row or rivers of the stuff. But, um, you know, I was trying to, trying to lose weight. Um, and there was a time when I was using fasting methods. And that year, without my drug... I got angrier and angrier and angrier and I got and, and I could see my workmates around me um, thinking that I was having a, a breakdown. But, you know, an addict without their drug is a, a fearsome thing, a crazy <laughs> person. So yeah. that was what was happening there. Yeah. So what about relationships with your family? Did Could they help you in any way? Look, I don't know. My family would notice if I'd lost weight and might compliment me. I didn't open up to them. I didn't ask for help. I didn't share with them the, the struggles I was having. I didn't feel as though I could um, do that or get support from that area. And there was a time when, in fact, um, I was estranged from my family at my, my, and my actions and didn't have contact with them for a few years. And it was very painful. Um, but um, I did find my family probably triggered me the worst. And um, I felt such a failure in relationships. It seemed preferable to not have any relationships and feel the, the failure than it was to actually try to engage and feel that pain of that failure. And, you know, relationships are very challenging for me today. And and um, but I'm a work in progress, and uh, and with the help of FA, I've 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 improved a lot. I've reconnected with the, my family, and have relationships today that are real and that are, are life giving and nourishing. Okay, um, mm. I'll swap over to you, Alice. Uh, I think we left you um, at, towards the end of high school. So, what was life like? You know, sort of leaving high school and getting on getting out into the workforce or going to uni for you so when I left high school I was you know still really struggling with with food with my weight with my image all of that um so you know I struggled I'd struggled transitioning from primary school to high school so you can imagine the struggle transitioning from high school to the real world that was just terrible terrifying for me that was very very scary so I actually didn't make it to I didn't get the marks for uni leaving high school because food addiction really um, inhibited me from being able to study concentrate um, put my best efforts in so I just I didn't just didn't get the marks so I went to TAFE um, which just made TAFE 
I've since learned is a fantastic institute. And, you know, if I was to ever have my own business, I would absolutely hire, look very favorably upon somebody who had a TAFE qualification um, because it was just, it did wonders for me. So I I did, I I went to TAFE and still really struggled with my weight and with with everything there. Um, and then from TAFE, I did eventually go on to uni. But what 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 those like what those years were like for me was, I knew that I had a problem. I just didn't know what the problem was. So I fought very hard, or I tried very hard to figure out my problem. And that that was my life goal. That was that was every every day I'd wake up, and it was how am I going to figure this out. So I didn't know what the problem was, but I knew that I wasn't okay. I knew that I was bigger than everyone else. And I knew that I felt uglier, fatter, um, not as smart as everyone in the world, everyone around me. I just felt very misplaced in the world. Very, um, I felt like something was really deeply fundamentally wrong with me. Like I was kind of half a person or I didn't really understand other like life or other people. So my goal every day was to try and fix that or try to figure out what the problem was. So what I did is the next few years after leaving high school, I sought um, spiritual healers, um, tarot cards, different forms of yoga, esoteric philosophies, um, self-development courses, um, going to the gym, a multitude of different diets, veganism, vegetarianism, uh, reading many, many books, my uni degree as well was in subjects that, you know, I thought contribute. I thought were going to give me the answer to 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 my problems. Um, I mean, that's dedication. Spending four years at uni trying to figure <laughs> out my problems, <laughs> um, and yeah, just very always searching. Would throw money at people, you know, just to fix me. I saw a past life regression therapist once. I paid her $170 and she told me that I was a Russian or she she said the reason why you're so big and that you can't stop eating or you know you've got problems with food is because I apparently was a Russian orphan in a previous life back in the 1800 and I was very mal malnourished I was very thin and you know back in the 1800s if you were an orphan and you were malnourished nourished, nobody wanted to adopt you so I then come into this life and I eat the way I eat, you know, so I can be pl- plump so that people will love me. You know, so I paid $170 to get that, to, to hear that. And that didn't stop me from eating. That didn't solve my problem. It's like I could read all the books and study all the philosophies and go to all the therapists and do all the work. But it wasn't going to stop me from, you know, retrieving food from the garbage or, um sitting in my bedroom and, you know, eating a two-litre tub of ice cream followed by three packets of Tim Tams and then going and throwing up all of that didn't stop me from doing any of that. So when did things sort of come to a head for you, when you thought you were just couldn't take any more of this? So that went on for quite a few years after I left high school and I just, I don't know what happened, but I guess I just became really sick and tired of, running around like a crazy person from therapy to yoga class to libraries trying to find, you know, obscure books that might have the solution to my problem. I just became tired. Um, thank God I never got, I never became broke from that because it's very expensive. I just became really, really, really tired. And I was actually seeing a spiritual healer at that, at that point that I'd been seeing for two years on a weekly basis, you know, paying her $80 a week. She was very bored with me. You know, I could see that she was getting very bored by me because I had been seeing her for two years and I was still in the same place that I was two years ago, still overweight, depressed, not really much going on with my life. And she had a pamphlet for FA and she said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to a meeting. It's just up the road. It's on a Wednesday night. If you want to join me, feel free. And I was doing kundalini yoga at this stage because I was convinced that, you know, it was my kundalini that I had to unleash in order to, to get thin. And I hesitated at first, but, you know, I had a small, quiet voice saying, just just go. I don't know what, what it was. Well, it was absolutely my higher power, but I didn't know that then. That encouraged me to go to the meeting with her. And I was 22, and I went to the meeting, and it felt like every piece to the puzzle that I'd been searching for my whole life finally fit. 
it felt like it felt like I'd finally come home. It felt like I'd been searching for this my whole life and my life finally, after years of searching, finally made sense. Okay, that's okay. That's good. Uh, well, listen, we might take another quick break. G'day, this is Jacob from Friday Rave. If the week's politics have left you wondering whether it's you or the rest of the planet that's gone completely and utterly bonkers, join us at 5 o'clock each and every Friday for a Friday Rave here on 3CR, where we'll do our best to reassure you that it is actually you and us. The Friday Rave, bringing the 5 o'clock drinks debrief to you here on Community Radio 3CR. You're listening to The Living Free Show on 3CR on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. I'm talking with Anne and Alice and we're talking about recovery from food addiction with the help of Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous. Uh, I'll start with you, Anne. So what was the thing that caused you to look for help? Firstly, I had a friend who had cried out to her higher power, could this diet work this time? She did it with a diet. But I cried out to my higher power that I... I knew that one day I would be slim and there would be an answer and um, left it and things moved on. The global economic crisis hit New Zealand. Um, My job ended. I I did a bit more. I did some study. So I said I didn't have a job. I, I said I was a student, but I didn't have a job. And then some areas closed down in my life. I got the chance to move to Melbourne and Melbourne has an active folk dance community that I was part of and I moved there. I did go to a 12-step program for codependency, uh, which I'd always been interested in. But then one one year, my landlady said her daughter had found this food program. Did I want to go? And I said, I just am not in any space to do a diet. I cannot diet anymore. And, And she left it. And then a couple of weeks later, she asked me again. And lo and behold, I went along out of curiosity, found this 12-step program. And, you know, I knew I knew some of the sayings. I listened to it with interest. But most of all, there was a beautiful young woman who shared her story of food addiction and had come from being quite overweight. Now, I'm five foot six. Um, my highest weight had been 112 kilos. And coming into FA, I was 101.6 kilos. And today I'm 59 kilos and I've lost 40 kilos in this program. And, you know, it is a miracle, a dream come true to be in a right-sized body. And not only to get to that right-sized body, but to have maintained it now, coming up for six years. I have never stayed the same size for this length of time in my entire adult life. I have come off antidepressants, which I had gone on. I've, I've come off asthma medication that I was on for 40 years, from the age of, I don't know, 11, 12, 13. I've come off asthma medication that I was on for 25 years. When I had my first blood test taken after the weight came off, my doctor literally leapt in her chair. She was so excited at how good the results looked. And so, you know, there's breast cancer in my family, which I believe has a sugar connection. There's diabetes in my father's family. And I have no no doubt I was heading for those kinds of um, maladies. But, you know, most of all today, what I have is, you know, we say I came for the vanity. And it's wonderful to have a size 10 body. But I stayed for the sanity. And today I continue in my 12-step program, to address the kinds of thinking I had that caused me to eat. And, you know, I I was thinking this way for 40 years. It's going to take a little bit of work to change my thinking. But even so, people who know me say I have changed a tremendous amount. And I used to have big mood swings, big highs, big lows. I used to love the drama of being in the depths of despair and, you know, life was so bad and nobody liked me and, you know, I hadn't made it in the world. And, you know, today I have I have emotions, but they are more even and I have a program and I can ring up a fellow and talk about what's going on for me and I can be honest. And 
that's the big thing for me today. I attend meetings where I show up in person and I'm seen and I'm heard um, by trusted fellows and I'm known for who I am, warts and all, even with my, you know, with my character defects. I have fellows I ring daily on the phone and I can talk about anything and I'm accepted. And then I have, you know, reminders. That, have you thought about gratitude in this? Have you asked for help from your higher power? And, you know, I, my history prior to finding FA was I couldn't get a job. You know, I couldn't get to a job interview on time. I was over 100 kilos and I just couldn't manage myself. Um, and, you know, it doesn't look good when you don't get to an interview on time. And I remember a, a consultant saying to me and giving me feedback saying, I don't think when you're over 40, you should eat cakes anymore. And I was so good at denial by then, I just switched that off and thought, oh, I wonder why she's talking about cakes. Is she saying I'm fat? Because I couldn't, I couldn't entertain that thought. Of course she was saying nowadays, I know. Yes, she was saying, perhaps if you lost a bit of weight, you might get a job. And it became so difficult with work that I had to go to charity organisations to pay my rent. I was going to Vinnie's and Salvo's to get food vouchers to eat. I was doing, I became someone who did odd jobs and I had, I found FA, you know, some of my fellows were kind enough to give me work and for a while I did cleaning jobs and, you know, I never liked cleaning, but I, today cleaning is not a phobia for me, I'm okay with it. But in those early months, in my first couple of years in FA, I did that kind of work to keep myself afloat. Today, uh, you know, a few years ago, I moved to Sydney to be part of a group that works the 12 steps um, in person. And, you know, since I've been in Sydney, I've had, I had a flat from three weeks after arriving in Sydney. I had full-time employment three weeks after arriving in Sydney. And I've had jobs ever since. And so that's 216 to today. And so there's been a huge change. I've paid for removal fees for my flats. I've paid bond. I've paid rent. Um, I'm able to afford those things today. I'm not living hand to mouth. Um, I'm fearing destitution. And that's because of the recovery I've gained in FA. Okay, thank you. Um, so what about you, Alice? What's, what's happened since you've got into FA? So I was 22 when I found FA or when FA found me, more like it. Um, and what my life looked like at 22 was I was working two part-time jobs, studying at uni full-time, um, not much going on. Um, so what happened since? So it's been I've been in recovery. I'm 29. I'm about to turn 30 in July. So it's been seven and a half years that I've been abstinent and in recovery and working the 12 steps. And I just, my life today is just completely different. I was, you know, this scared, just a very fearful 22 year old who just had no ability of dealing with life. I have such a life problem. And just the really little things that, you know, might seem really trivial to the outside world, but for me were the biggest things. And for example, like, before recovery, I couldn't I couldn't take my car to get serviced because I just could not fathom the idea. I couldn't cope with the idea of being without a car because I had so much fear. Well, how am I going to get to my job? How am I going to get to uni? How am I going to – I can't catch public transport. What if the bus, bus crash, crashes? What if I'm late? What if I'm – there was all – I was just living in such fear. So the thought of even taking my car to get serviced was just beyond me. I, I, I was so bound by fear. I couldn't do simple things, you know, and I – you know, my car went on service for about two or three years because I was in so much fear. Um, I remember being newly abstinent in recovery and my car breaking down, coming back from one of my meetings and just being on the side of the road in absolute hysterics. And there's a saying in, in, our, in our program, in our fellowship, that when a normal person's car breaks down, they call AAA. I think AAA is like NRMA yeah. um, in America. But when an addict's car breaks down, they call the, they call the suicide hotline. 
and that was me to in a nutshell simple things would happen and i'd call the suicide hotline because i just i had no ability of dealing with with simple things and that has since changed i can proudly say i get my car serviced once a year to and again to the outside world that seems like yeah and what's the big deal but for this food addict it's a huge deal it's a huge and don't get me wrong like i need to really gear myself up for that i need a lot of support just to do little things but i'm i'm living life today and what's changed was you know i see i was at uni when i was in recovery and i said my again my marks were averaging about 60% when i when i first came into fa i was borderline i was doing okay i was just getting by and then two years being into recovery, I, I graduated from my degree with high distinctions. So my marks in, improved. They went from passes to HDs. I have traveled around the world in this program. I love that this program's portable. I have family overseas. So I got I got to see them and yeah, I've just been been everywhere. Not everywhere, but I've been to places that I've I've traveled bef- I traveled before program and I've traveled in program and the difference is like t- chalk and cheese. I was I was in the most beautiful places in the world before recovery and completely miserable. I remember being in Paris before I, I came into FA and you know I, I couldn't tell you what the Mo- and being at the Louvre and got to go and see the what the Mona Lisa going to see the Mona Lisa and I, I couldn't tell you what the Mona Lisa looked like but I could tell you what ice cream flavors there were in the cafeteria in the Louvre. <laughs> you know I could, I could tell you every single flavor of gelato in Rome. I could tell you, you know, the exact smell of, you know, a specific food in, you know, I would go, I would travel to countries just for the food. Like I literally went to Belgium for the waffles because Belgium, Belgium waffles. Um, so that was life before recovery. Then I came into recovery and, you know, I've, I've stopped using a drug and life has just become so colorful and so beautiful. You know, I go places to see things today, not to see the or not to be with the food. Um, the biggest miracle for me probably was um, eight months ago I got married and that was comp- – I got married overseas in Serbia and that just completely blew my mind. Um, you know, I can be in relation with people today. I'm not as scared as I once was. Um, I've lost 35 kilos in this program. Like Anne was saying, we come for the, the vanity and we stay for the sanity. I'm still here for, for the vanity. Uh, of course, the sanity as well, but the vanity, you know, is fantastic. I'm a size six. I, the last time I was a size six, I was probably like 10 years old. Um, so it's such a joy to be in a right-sized body. Going, Being in recovery in my 20s, I, without question, would have been committed to an asylum or committed suicide had I not gotten into recovery. Because being in your 20s is hard enough. Being in your 20s in addiction is is a hell that I never want to go back to and it's a hell that I ne- I don't ever wish upon my worst enemy mentally physically and spiritually this disease robbed me of so many opportunities it robbed me of and I am so grateful to have gone through recovery in my 20s because those opportunities were, were given back to me tenfold um I wouldn't be married today had I not been in recovery I wouldn't have a full time, you know, I wouldn't have employment. I wouldn't have, you know, beautiful relationships with my family members who I once resented or, you know, isolated from. I wouldn't have many of the things that I have today. They're, they're all gifts that I, I hold so close to my heart. Um, and life is simple today and simple is, is good. I'm, I'm okay with simple. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. Um, if anybody's out there who'd like to find out more about Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous, then you can phone them on 1-800-717-446 or you can go online at foodaddicts.org. That's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Anne and Alice for coming to uh, for sharing their Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous recovery experience with us. Thank you both. Thank, thank you, Belle. Pleasure. I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll be talking about another 12-step recovery program. Thanks for listening and stay tuned now for Alternative, hosted by Robbie. And to take us out, we've got a song called Stop, Look, Listen to Your Heart by Diana Ross and Marvin Gaye.
But just pretend, oh baby, why fool yourself? Don't be afraid to help yourself. It's never too late, too late to stop. Look, yes, listen to your heart, hear what it says. Stop. Look, listen to your heart, hear what it says. Love 